So those people who get to know me and, and spend time with me will learn rather quickly that I'm an avid Apple fan. Now, I like the fruit as much as anybody, but I'm particularly talking about Apple products, the technology, iPhones, iPads, MacBooks, things like that. Now, it hasn't always been like that. So Apple fans used to drive me crazy. I'd hear them talk about the products, and the first thing I would think of is they're a part of a cult, and they're hipsters who pay way too much money for coffee. That's what some of you may not understand that some of you do, okay? We'll just assume everybody does. And so that was my first reaction is that that's who they were and I don't wanna be a part of it. It wasn't until my third laptop went down in a month that I said, okay, something has to change. I first lost all of my undergraduate work when my PC went down, bought two more PCs and it just wouldn't work. Problem after problem, I said, okay, something has to be done and something has to be done now. So I went to the store and started talking to some people and lo and behold, I walked home with a new iPad and a new iMac computer. Just wanna throw in there over eight years old and still functioning just fine today. That was for McKinsey. Now, so I didn't wanna be an Apple fan. It wasn't my goal, it's not something I wanted to do. But I realized that what I was buying wasn't meeting my needs. So I needed a fix, I needed a solution. And now I am fully immersed in the Apple ecosystem. And I mean, I have absolutely everything, probably multiple of them. And if you were to bring your PC out or your laptop out around me, I'd immediately ask you, why do you buy inferior products? I'd immediately talk to you about why you need to switch and how it will save you time, money, and effort. And you may argue, but I know I'm right at the end of the day. Because we talk about what works. Isn't that true? I am telling you about my experience because it works. All of Apple's products simply works. I'm not selling you anything, by the way, at the end of the service, don't have a, uh, anything Apple to sell you. I'm just telling you that for me, they worked, and I wanna tell you about what has worked in my life. But we all do this. If you were to lose weight, I bet you go around wanting to tell people about the weight loss you had. People won't even notice, and you'll go to work and go, I had to buy new clothes this week. Just wanting them to ask, you know, you drop the hints. Yeah, I was real exhausted and tired, had to buy all new pants. Why? Oh, because I've lost weight. In fact, if you've lost weight, you'll immediately identify people who you think might want to. I know you're not going to admit this is true, but it's true. You're going to immediately identify people who you think may need to go on that same weight loss plan, and you'll start talking about it. Gluten-free changed my life. Or this is the thing I did. We talk about what works and we assume other people wanna know about what has worked in our life. Now, you won't worry about how your body's responded. You won't worry about how your cell, what your cells did or what your metabolism did. You'll simply just tell them, here's the plan I followed and here's how it's worked for me. So we not only talk about what works, which we do, right? We talk about what works. Everybody in agreement, only three of you? Do y'all talk at all? Raise your hand if you talk about what works. Just half of us, okay. How about we talk about what we love? Do you remember when you first met your spouse? Remember how much you used to talk about them to everybody else? Do you remember when you first had your kid or you're thinking about having kids? Remember when you posted the first baby picture or the first time they wore that outfit or the first time they ate or the first time they crawled or the first time they walked? You act like nobody else's baby has ever done any of those things and we decide to share them? 
If you're going, I'm not too sure. How about your grandchildren? Do you do that? Oh, yes, yes, okay. We do that with our grandchildren, right? We talk about the things we love. If you were to ask my family about Jeeps, any of my kids or my wife or me, we talk to you about how we love to take the top off. We love to take the doors off. We love to crawl over rocks. We love to go in the middle of the woods and climb up hills that nobody should be doing because we love these things. So let's get on the same page. We talk about what works. Do we agree? Do we talk about what we love? Then why do we have such a hard time talking about Jesus? You see, we don't have to know everything about computers in order to talk about them. We don't have to know the entire menu at a restaurant to tell people to try it out. You may say, I only had this one thing and that's all I had, but they have a whole bunch of other stuff. You may not know everything about it, but you're still not afraid to talk about it. You may not know everything about your grandkids. No one's even trained you how to talk about your grandkids, have they? Did you ever take a kids on how to talk about your grandkids? Like, well, no, why would I take a class? Because we talk about what we love and we talk about what works. In fact, we naturally do these things. We have to prevent, we have to stop ourselves from talking about things that are important to us. It's natural. And my plea to you this morning is this. I simply want you to experience the life change that comes through Jesus Christ. And I want you to do what anybody naturally does when they love something and they find something that works. I want you to talk about it. See, the bottom line this morning, which is the big idea, so if, in case you doze off, you can tell your spouse that you know what the sermon's about. The big idea is change lives want to see life change in others. Changed lives want to see life change in others. And so I ask you this morning, is Jesus real to you? Hey. I'm Ryan, I'm a Christian, and this is my story. Growing up, I never missed going to church. When I was 12, I accepted Christ as my savior. I I was even baptized. It, It undoubtedly was a very important decision. It even affected how I lived in high school. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I had fun on the weekends. I had a girlfriend, a couple, but I was a normal high school kid. College was one big blur, but I did make it to church out of obedience. And after school, I married a great girl, and she's been a great influence on me. Life's been good. I have a house, three kids. I couldn't ask for more. I mean, sure, I worry about my future. I mean, my marriage, it could be better. And I need to spend more time with my kids, but but things will be all right. I have my faith. You may not hear me talk about it a lot, but that's, it's just because it's personal. But don't worry for me. My Jesus is real. Could it be the reason why you don't talk about Jesus is because you don't really know Jesus? Could it be the reason why you don't talk about your faith is because you really don't have faith? 
I mean, sure, you know some religious things to say. Sure, you can probably quote scripture. Sure, you're in church. Sure, you go to Sunday school. But we're introduced to a man who had the same things. But he missed what God was doing right in front of him. But it's through that conversation we get to learn, and you get to learn what Jesus asks from us. See, there's a man named Nicodemus who goes to Jesus in the middle of the night because he doesn't want all of his friends to see. He's a religious leader, a man who knows a whole lot about the Hebrew scriptures. But he comes to Jesus and asks him a question. You see, Jesus was doing all sorts of different miracles. They knew that he was somebody, they just didn't understand who he was. You see, the kind of things Jesus was doing, like, I don't know, healing people from being blind, making paralyzed people walk, those kind of things aren't things you just see every day. And Jesus was doing them, but yet he was untrained. He was a carpenter's son. How could Jesus be from God? How could he be one of the religious elite when they don't really know him? So he comes to Jesus in John chapter three. The verses will be up here. You could turn in the scriptures if you'd like. It says this, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. You see, there's a debate. Jesus, we, we know you're from God. I mean, you couldn't be doing this stuff, but we don't understand. Who are you? What are you doing? Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus just gets straight to the point. The reason why you don't understand the reason why you can't see the ruler of God or the kingdom of God or what God is doing in your midst, because you're not seeing with the right eyes. You don't have the right perspective. He's telling them you need a new perspective. You need a different set of eyes. You need a new life. You see, you can't see or understand this because you're not born again, Jesus says. And if that doesn't make sense to you, that's okay. It didn't make sense to Nicodemus either. John 3, 4. How could someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. You understand what's happening there, right? Fair question, how can this even work? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at me, my saying, you must be born again. You can't understand what's happening, Nicodemus. You can't see what's going on because your eyes are blind. Yes, natural procreation leads to fleshly birth. Yes, you are correct. But there's a different kind of birth, a birth from above, a spiritual birth that's gonna be required for you to understand what's happening. You see, Paul tells us about this new spirit we get when we become Christians, when we're born again. In fact, he tells us the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave actually resides in us when we become a Christian. It's that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside, gives us this newness. Nicodemus says, what, how can this be? I mean, how can I be born? I don't understand what's going on. So he asks him, how can this be? Jesus rebukes him hard. He says, so you're a teacher. You're a religious leader and you don't understand these things I'm talking to you about? And then he goes on to say in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, some of us know that story, some of us don't. This would have been a story Nicodemus grew up knowing. So he takes him back to these stories he's heard all growing up. Just like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so this is, we're looking at this after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we understand and know that this lifting up means the cross of Christ. 
So everyone, he says, hey, the son of man must be lifted up. You have to be born again. He's explaining these things, talking to this religious person. This is how this happens. And anyone who believes will have eternal life. And then he continues, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And if you've been with us throughout the study for the past couple of months, I know we went through the Old Testament for 21 weeks, and for some of us, that was a really long time. And we learned a lot of stories, but by now, and at this point, you should finally, it should finally click. Throughout the whole Old Testament, they knew God needs to do something. God needs to move. Remember, we left Israel, they were waiting, they were in exile, they came back, they rebuilt the temple, but something wasn't right. They knew God had to show up. This is what's happening. They knew that God had to do something because they could not be the people God wanted them to be. And so Jesus saying, I am him, I have come. God has sent me to rescue and to deliver and to save. You see, they were waiting for somebody to save them. This is where their culture is very different than ours. Our culture, we believe we got it figured out. We believe we can save ourselves, maybe through education, maybe through our career, maybe through all sorts of different things. We say, no, I I can do it, I got it, I have enough, or I can get enough. This will fill that missing piece. So she says, no, no. You see, they were waiting, and Jesus says, I am him. The world was headed towards destruction. The world was heading towards death. You know this. The world is full of pain. The world is full of suffering. The world is full of hardships. These aren't just things that we just kind of come up with. They're real. They're our reality. And Jesus says, I've come to save you from these by believing. You see, when we believe in Jesus, we believe in the whole person of Jesus. We believe that he's the king. We talked about that last week that he is the Messiah, he is the rightful ruler. We believe that he's not just that, that he's God himself who's come down wrapped in human flesh. So we believe that his atonement, which is his death on the cross, the blood that was shed, forgives our sins, that we can't do enough on our own, that no matter how good we are, no matter how much we come to church, no matter how much Bible we read, that's not gonna save us. It's by grace through what Christ has done. So it's believing that Jesus has fixed our separation with God. It's believing that that wrong that we know that is in the world, that he is fixing and redeeming. But did you know Jesus didn't just save you from death and destruction? He wants to save your marriage. He wants to save your career. He wants to save your purpose. He wants to restore you and make you new. That's the idea of being born again. It's a new start, a new way, a fresh outlook on life. And so I ask, have you encountered Jesus? Have you been born again where you've turned your life over and said, here it is? Have you repented? Going from, I'm going this way, I'm gonna turn from that and I'm gonna head towards him. Did you know nothing your parents have done can save you? Nothing your grandparents, all of the volunteer hours, you're like, you mean that doesn't get, no. All of the Sunday school, these are great things we do in service to our God, but they don't save us. 
It's Jesus Christ who does that. Have you accepted the gift of salvation through him? If you have, I'm excited for you and I'm glad you're here. Because it's not that our salvation is the end goal, the salvation is the beginning. Once we are saved, we are continually to transform into the image of Jesus Christ. We're continued to grow and to be like him, to be holy. Now some of us, well, let's just be honest. We compare ourselves to the people around us to make ourselves feel better, don't we? You don't have to admit that. All right, you did. All right, we're honest on this one. Isn't that what we do? We're like, well, I'm better than him, so I'm good. Well, I'm bad. Have you met? I must be going to heaven if they like G. I must be going to heaven. But do you know the people around us aren't our standard? Our standard is Jesus Christ. We constantly look towards him. And if we're looking towards him, do you know we don't have time to look at, well, everybody else? We're constantly looking at him and us. He is our standard, so we continually grow and we continue to be molded into the image of Jesus Christ, which means we should all quite literally be able to answer the question, what is God doing in your life? If you were to meet a stranger who'd come up to you on vacation and just simply ask, what's God doing in your life? You should actually be able to respond with, here's what's going on. Here's how he's moving. Here's how he's working. So I ask you, What's God doing in your life? Can you actually respond? Is he actually moving? Because you weren't just saved from sin and death. You were saved for the purposes of God. And as we've read, God's purpose is to save the world through Jesus Christ. As Christians, we then sign up to be a part of that. And as a church, we've embraced this. We're gonna reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ and teach them how to follow him. And listen, this is very important. Some of you, if you're kind of dozing off or distracted, pay attention. This is very important. We come to get filled up and then we go pour ourselves out to then come back and get filled up. Do you know the reason why many of us can't be filled up is because we haven't poured ourselves out? We think it's everybody else's fault. We have to pour, we have to empty, we have to give ourselves away. And then we gather back together to be encouraged, to be strengthening, to grow. But can you fill a cup that's already full? You know this. If a cup is completely full, can you fill it up even more? That's why some of us can't be filled, because we're already filled. We gotta go empty it. We gotta go give it away. Because changed lives want to see life change in others. All throughout the Gospels, if you're following us with the story, all throughout this week's chapter, you saw this over and over again. We read about Nicodemus and his encounter. But did you notice the other people, what they did when they found out about Jesus? They didn't find out about Jesus and then come to church and go, who we got to sing and hear someone preach? what they do? Well, let me show you. John the Baptist, we're gonna look at him first. He was a relative of Jesus. By his own right in his public ministry, he was famous. People would flock to him to hear him preach. Well, he dressed ragged. He was very outspoken and didn't pull any punches. So people are attracted. Like, what, what's he gonna blow up today? What's he gonna talk about today? He's gonna make somebody mad. So people would flock out there to hear him. 
And when he saw Jesus, he told them, he said, the reason why I'm doing this is because of him. John the Baptist used his public platform. John the Baptist used all that God had given him to point people to Jesus. Do you know what would happen if Christians embraced that everything they've been given, their platform, their fame, their finances, their positions, their titles, their education, if we were to use all that God has given us to point people to Jesus, do you know what would happen? Oh, we change the world quickly. And so he did this. Look at this. John 135 says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. He allowed his followers to go chase after somebody else, which is a big deal. And if you're a leader, you know that. Someone going to another company or going to work for someone else is like, ah, you're leaving me? Now he pointed people, go follow him. Look what happens though. John 1.40 says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing, hold on, does that say first thing? Is that, did I read that right? Yeah, okay, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother, Simon, and tell him we have found the Messiah that is the Christ and he brought him to Jesus. The first thing he did when he met Jesus was go and get somebody else and bring him to Jesus. The only reason why you know about Simon or better known as Peter, the early of the early church, was because his brother went to get him. And we all love reading about Peter because he makes us feel better about ourselves. When we read his stories, we go, well, I wouldn't have cut someone's ear off. I'm a little better than him, right? But this is the man who did incredible things for the Lord. And we know about him because his brother went to get him. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. The thing that Jesus says more than anything, come on, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the one who the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, Philip said. Philip had his own experience with Jesus. Then what'd he do? Went and got his friend. Look, you gotta come see this. Here's what about him. Can he come, can anything good? I don't know, can it? Let's go find out together. See, we might not all know all the answers, but if we experience life change, we can at least tell him about that. Hey, come find out with me. We see the woman at the well in John chapter four. She had an encounter with Jesus. Remember, she was living a scandalous life. She wasn't accepted by her peers. When she found out about Jesus, found out who he was, look at what she does in John 4. Said, in leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Listen, she left her stuff and went and grabbed the whole town. She said, you gotta know this. She said, could this be? Do you know what that means? She didn't even know if she believed it. She didn't even know who he was. She was like, I don't know. Could it be? It might be. Hey, let's find out together. And it says lives were changed. They said tons of people, not tons of people, but people came to know Jesus Christ and said, we now believe because we've heard about him. They said, we really know that he's the savior of the world. In Mark 2, 
we see four friends who weren't gonna take no for an answer with their buddy. Remember, Jesus was preaching in a place, a large room, and it was completely filled up. No one could fit in, so what they decide to do to bring their friend to Jesus? I'm glad you, you don't know the story. They cut the roof. I mean, that's how important, that's the kind of life change they really thought Jesus was gonna do something if he showed, if they showed up with their friend. Do you believe Jesus is gonna do something enough to tell somebody about it? They did, to where they cut a hole. How do you think they paid for that later? What was the conversation? Like, I'm glad your friend's better, but you gotta fix my roof. I mean, what is that? I don't know. Remember Matthew, the tax collector? He was there. Jesus said, follow him. He did it. Remember, tax collectors were despised. They were looked at as traitors back then. Jesus said, follow me. What did Matthew do? He followed him. But what else did Matthew do that night? He threw a party and invited all his friends over to meet Jesus. Some of us, when we throw parties, we don't want Jesus there, do we? But they threw a party so people could meet Jesus. Over and over, we see this changed lives, want to see life change in others. Because we talk about what works, and we talk about what we love. We've already agreed on that. And so I ask you, what is God doing in your life? If you can't answer that, then you need to encounter Jesus Christ. Maybe for the first time this morning, Nicodemus, he checked every box there was to check but he was bold enough to go find out for himself. Listen, you must be born again. You gotta be given a new eyes. You gotta be given a new spirit. You can't earn it. You can't do it. You can't earn what someone else has already paid for. And he wants to give you a new life. Are you confident that you've trusted and turned to Jesus Christ for salvation? If not, I'm gonna pray here in a little bit and I'd love you to join me in that. But if so, I ask you, have you grown cold? Could it be that you're like a lukewarm cup of water that sat out on the counter for all these years? It's kind of good for nothing. Could it be it's because you haven't emptied your cup and then got replenished with the living water? Could it be you need to go empty? Could the problem be that you're so full you just need to let it out to then come in and get recharged? And so here's our next steps. This is for all of us, including me. Let's invite people to encounter Jesus because change lives, want to see life change in others. Now we can't literally take people to meet Jesus anymore, but we can take them to the place to hear about him. And so I ask us all to invite people to hear about Jesus at public gatherings. Whether it's church, whether if this, if this isn't your home church, that's okay, invite them to your home church. Just invite people to encounter Jesus here, maybe this church, Sunday school, small groups, whatever that looks like for you. Invite people to hear God's word taught, to see what can happen. And remember, we invite them to church, not to grow our churches, we invite so people can encounter Jesus. But are we bold enough to think that if people show up, Jesus is gonna show up? Are we bold enough to say, I know that they're gonna have life change because Jesus is gonna respond? Do we actually have that kind of faith? To trust in that? You know, studies show 80% of non-Christians will come to church if they're invited. 
Now, remember, we don't wanna just invite people to church who already go to church. If people go to church, let them stay at their church. We're happy and we're excited for them. We wanna reach people who don't go to church. We wanna reach people who don't know Jesus Christ. And 80% of those people will come if they're sincerely invited by you. My challenge Well, Tim, in the first service, he invites people like crazy. I'm just gonna be honest with you. This week, I invited four people because I'm trying to beat him every week. I'm competitive. Anybody else competitive by nature? So I made a challenge. I'm gonna beat him. Every week, I'm gonna ask him. He's gonna ask me, and I'm gonna win. Some of us, imagine if you just said, hey, watch what I can do versus what you can do. And we're not doing it. We're making it fun, but because we believe Jesus is gonna show up and something's gonna happen. We believe in that. If you don't know how and maybe inviting people out to church is awkward, that's okay. Here's three knots. This isn't unique to me, but three knots that I learned that was very helpful. It's when you hear someone say, I'm not going to church, I'm not prepared for, and I, excuse me, not prepared for and not going well. People say, not going well, not prepared for, not in church. Good time to be like, hey, why don't you come check out church? Why don't you come hear our pastor? He's the best speaker I've ever heard before in my life. It's okay to lie about things like that, okay? We have, it's okay. Just say, come on. Or maybe, maybe for you, maybe you have enough faith and maybe you've been doing this for a while. Maybe you can invite people to a, an encounter through your life. If you're there, that's exciting. Maybe you can invite them over for a cup of coffee or you can go out to lunch with them or maybe for a mentoring session, something like that. Not all of us are there, but if you are, you know who you are. Maybe you need to have some one-on-one time with people and really invest in them. But all of us can take part. We can invite people to public gatherings or we can invest in their lives because you never know what kind of impact you may have on other people. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. 
James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met never will. You see, changed lives want to see life change in others. And so what is God doing in your life? You are uniquely designed and gifted to leverage all that you are to reach people that other people can't. And what if you realized that and said, oh, I'm in my position and my place and all of this I can talk to people that others, you know people and I know people that you'll never know, you know people I've never known, you have access to people I'll never have access and vice versa. What if you just use that and realize that God is sending you and using you to reach those for him? And what if we held each other accountable every week in Sunday school with something like this? What if each week we knew that when I come to Sunday school, our Sunday school teacher is gonna say, what's God doing in your life? Some of us, we'd quit going to Sunday school. And I tell you to look at your faith. Is it even there? Some of us, we'd start getting serious. Peer pressure's a real thing, church. What if we said, they're gonna ask me who I talked to about Jesus this week. We're gonna go to Dairy Queen on Saturday night. Go to the drive-thru and be like, hey, would you like to come to church tomorrow? No, that's okay. I asked somebody though. But we'd have those stories. Maybe we would take it serious. And perhaps, just perhaps, we could see life change in other people. Because if you've encountered Jesus, you know that he's just not some self-help, some just get better at it. He is the savior of the world who has come to redeem you. And that's worth talking about, talking about. Because you and me, we talk about what we love, and we talk about what works. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you.